Take your Bible and open it up with me this morning to uh, John 15. Do you ever struggle in maintaining a consistent and daily and joy-filled devotional life? I'm talking about a quiet time where you start your day in the Word of God and in prayer. As I was looking over what we were going to do today, I just had to go back and look at the stages in my life and, and how they relate to the quiet time. I, I started pastoring when I was a sophomore at Arkansas State, 19 years old. And uh, I defined the word ignorance. I didn't know anything. But there were uh, three pastors in Jonesboro who took me under their wing. They mentored me. They poured their hearts into me. And one of them really talked to me about reading. He let me come and just go through his library, and he would point out books that I needed to read. And he encouraged me to read biographies of great men and women in the past. And I started doing that. Read uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, George Mueller, uh, 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 all of the greats. And, and as I read them, I, I noticed something. They all talked about getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spending two hours in their quiet time alone with the Lord in the Word in prayer. And so I thought, wow, that's the key. Now, I, I, was, I was going to school, I was pastoring, going to bed, you know, 11, 12 o'clock every night, but I'd get up at 4 o'clock to have my devotional time. And I'd sit down, and I would open my Bible, and I would read a couple of verses and just fall sound asleep. And so I thought, well, maybe if I lay my Bible on the couch and get down on my knees on this, this hardwood floor, I'll stay awake. And I did that. And I'd read a couple of verses, and I'd wake up, and my head would be in my Bible. I ruined several Bibles slobbering on them. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, one of the great revelations in life, that those guys got up at 4 o'clock and spent two hours because they didn't have electricity or cars or anything else. And so they went to bed at, at sundown. And it was a great relief that I could have my quiet time at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then there was the period where the children were young. The house wasn't big, and there wasn't any quiet place in our house. And so during that time, I, I, I got the practice where I would read my scripture at night and get up early about 5 o'clock and get a Diet Coke, get in my car, and I had a route that I could... Uh, driving about 30 minutes, didn't have to think about it, and I could pray and just meditate upon the Scripture. And then the third stage was when life got really busy. And I had worked into my life the, the quiet time, the devotional life, and I kept it up every morning, but I found that I was really on a roller coaster in my 
devotional life. I mean, there were some times where it was so fresh and wonderful to be alone with the Lord, but then there were other times where I just fell into the rut of routine. I was doing it, but a whole lot wasn't taking place in my life. Every now and then, Janet will be talking to me, and in the middle of her conversation, she'll stop, and she says, are you listening to me? What did I just say? And I kind of sat there, what? Uh, what do you mean? She said, well, you got that far away look like you're thinking about something else. And I don't have any, I, I mean, I've heard every word she said, but I don't have any idea what she said. And I found that was in my devotional time in those low periods. I mean, I'd read the scriptures, I'd pray and get up, couldn't even remember what I read just preoccupied with life. About 30 years ago, just so desperate to get off of that roller coaster of good times and just rut times, four verses came together in my life that really just framed the quiet time, the devotional life. Let me give them to you. John 15, 4, where Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. The second one is Ephesians 5, 18, that says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The third one is Colossians 3, 16. It says that we're to have the word of Christ dwelling richly within us. And the fourth one is Romans 12, 1. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship. And so I start every day of my life now with this prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to abide in you today. I, I want to walk aware of your presence. I want to enjoy your fellowship. And Holy Spirit, there are things that are out there in front of me today that I can't handle by myself. And I ask you to fill and control and power and enable my life. And Lord, the word that I read this morning, I, I, I pray that you would just make it alive in my heart as I go through the day, that you'd speak to me, direct my step, and Lord, the best that I know how, I lay everything down before you. I commit everything that I am today to you. Now, what I've learned about those four verses is that those things do not happen automatically in my life. They're not the default setting of my heart. They involve a conscious, concrete decision and commitment that I need to make every day of my life. Because what I've learned is that when those things are real in my life, it changes how I live. But if they become routine or if I get busy and forget them, those are the days that I blow it. Those are the days I get behind somebody 
who's not driving the way that I think they ought to, and I honk the horn, and I say, park in a movie. Those are the days I'm not loving my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I've just come to the place that I am afraid to live any day of my life without those four realities being real inside of me. So what I want to do today, uh, I, I want us to look at these four verses. We're going to look at one of them this morning, and then we'll come back and look at the other three this evening. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to abide in Christ. Let me just read a larger section of, of John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears uh, fruit, he prunes that it might uh, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken uh, to you. You have been saved, but now abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide on me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, let's just look at that, uh, that, that, that verse two ways. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And then secondly, we'll look at why it is essential to abide in Christ. Let's start off with what it means to abide in Christ. What is, what is Jesus talking about when he said, Abide in me and I in you? Well, that word abide comes from a, a little Greek word. It's meno, M-E-N-O. And what it means is to remain in one place. And when Jesus uses it here in John 15 to talk about how we are to remain in him, he uses it in the sense that we are to remain in fellowship with him. That we are to be stuck to him. You remember that little commercial ditty, I'm stuck on Band-Aids because Band-Aids stuck on me. Jesus said, I want you to be stuck on me because I'm stuck on you. It carries the idea of enjoying his presence and having an intimate relationship with him. It talks about just being so close to him. Just right there. Do you know that when you were saved, you were engrafted into Christ? You don't live apart from Christ. You only live in your relationship with him, right? When I was uh, went to teach in California, Janet stayed back 
behind to sell our house in South Carolina. And I lived in an extended stay hotel, and that's the loneliest existence that anybody can ever have. And there was a couple, uh, uh, Marshall and Vivian Scott, who, who had a house that they had built on a mountainside in Moreno Valley. And when they had built it, they, they, uh, uh, they, they, they built it on the mountainside. And so underneath it, they built a, a mother-in-law suite for her mother. And her mother had died. And they were so gracious, and they invited me to come and just live in that suite. And Marshall, as a hobby, had an orchard back behind the house. And what he did is he, he took trees and he engrafted different kinds of branches to it. So he would have a tree, and on that one tree you would have an apple branch, and you would have a peach branch, and you would have an avocado branch. And all of those branches are bearing their kind of fruits, apples and, and peaches and oranges and avocados. And it was just fascinating. But they all had one thing in common. They were connected to the life source, to the tree. They couldn't do that by themselves. The sap of the tree had to run through them. And what Jesus is saying is now, you have been engrafted to me. I'm the source of life. And you live only as my life flows through you. Now he's talking about the daily flowing of his life into you. And the reason he says it is because without him, we can do nothing. Now, Jesus gives two uh, dimensions of abiding in him here in John 15. He, he says that enjoying this intimate relationship with him involves abiding in his word. Look, look down, if you will, to uh, uh, verse uh, 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, there are two things that, that are so important about abiding in the word and we'll talk about the word a great deal tonight. But here, it has to do with the abiding concept and it has to do with Communion and communication. Over the years, I, I've done so much marriage counseling. Do you know what the number one problem in marriages among believers is? Every now and then I have to deal with someone who's gone astray or with finances, but the big problem is a lack of communication. You come in, he just never talks. I mean, we talk to one another, and we don't talk with one another. And here's the reality. In every, in every relationship, you communicate or the relationship disintegrates. 
And Jesus is saying, if you want to have a vital, intimate, joy-filled, life-transforming relationship with me, then abide in my word. Let me speak to your heart. Let me communicate with you. Let me give my guidance to you. Let me give my revelation of myself to you so that you can grow in knowing me. There is the basis of communication. But did you also notice that Jesus linked this abiding in his word with answered prayer. Listen again, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You know what he's simply saying? Learn to pray Scripture. You know what's happen, what happens when you pray Scripture? You're praying the will of God. I pray for about 50 pastors every Saturday evening. And I always pray the Word of God for them, and I communicate that with them by text. And I pray that this, this yesterday, uh, as, I, as I prayed for them, uh, I prayed Proverbs uh, 2, verse 6. Let me turn to it real quickly. Here's what I prayed for, for, for men who would be preaching the word of God today. That is that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will use you and that God will speak through you and give wisdom and understanding to those who are gathered to hear the word today. I pray the scriptures for my children. I look at Paul's prayer where he prays for the Philippians or the Ephesians, and, and he prays that, that, uh, that, that they, they might uh, uh, approve the things that are excellent, they might make the right choices in life. You just pray the Word of God. You pray. How many of you just kind of, you know, I hope this is God's will when I pray. Scripture gives you knowledge of how to pray that's what Jesus is saying. He said, abide in me. Now, what does that mean? That means to abide in me and let my words abide in you. Secondly, he said, not only do you need to abide in my love, but he comes down in, in, in verse 9 and says you need to abide in my love. Look at verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I think the two ideas there. That's just growing in your understanding of the depths and the riches of his love for you. Do you, you remember when Paul prayed for the, 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 the Christians in Ephesus? And he comes at the end of verse 3 and he says, And I pray that you may be able with all the saints to comprehend 
what is the length and the breadth and, and, and uh, the width and the depth of, of the love of God in Christ Jesus, which surpasses all human understanding. He says, I, I just pray that life will be for you will be an exciting adventure of discovering more and more and more of how he loves you. Now, when you do that, John said, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And our love for him is simply a response to his love for us. So as I grow in my understanding and the riches of his love for me, the more that I love him. And can I tell you that the Christian life is all about falling in love with Jesus. It's not about rules and regulations. The Christian life is all about falling in love with Jesus and growing in your love for Jesus. Now, love brings some rules because he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But we don't keep commandments to get him to love us just because we love him. And so that abiding in him is just that intimate linkage to Jesus in my daily life. Now, real quickly, why is that important? Why is it essential that you and I abide in Christ? What Jesus said it has to do, all has to do with fruit. Now listen, go back to, to, to uh, John 15, 4. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. And so Jesus said abiding has to do with fruit in our lives. Now, fruit, two ideas. Number one, fruit are those things in our lives that glorify God now and will glorify him forever. Secondly, fruit are those things in our lives that are evidence of our relationship with Jesus. And as you go through John 15, you see Jesus talks about that we would bear fruit, more fruit, and then much fruit to the glory of God. But what is fruit? What is he talking about? Well, if you go through the New Testament, you'll find different kinds of fruit. There is the fruit of transformed character. Galatians 5, 22, 23. Talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We're not walking in the flesh. The ugliness of the flesh isn't bearing that bad fruit in our lives. We're walking in the Spirit, and as we do, there's fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Now, ladies, how many of you would like for your husband to come in from work full of love, joy, peace, 
patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and good control. Come in and say, just say, man, it's a bad day. I just, everything was wrong. I didn't come in and say, boy, no, I just walked with Jesus. I love you. What can I do for you today? How can I serve you? I, I know you've had a day with the kids. Let me take them and I'll eat and let you have. How, how many of you would like that? You know, if, if Janet was here, she'd have both ha- ha- feet in the air and, and a, hands in the air and a foot. But that's just the, the fruit of abiding in Christ. I, I can't be abiding in Christ and not be filled with the Spirit, and I can't be filled with the Spirit, and not walking in the Spirit, and if I'm walking in the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to become abundant in my life. Then there is the fruit of transformed conduct. In Philippians 1.11, Paul's praying for the, the church at Philippi, praying for us, and he prays for the fruit of righteousness. And righteousness just means right living before God and right living before men. And then the Bible talks about the, the fruit of transformed worship. In, in, in Hebrews 13, 15, it talks about the, pray, the, the fruit of our lips giving praise to God. And it's not just talking about what we do at church. That's certainly what we ought to do at church. But it's a way of life, giving God great glory. You remember the ten lepers, these ten men who have this hideous disease that disfigures the body, that separates them from family and friends. They couldn't live in the city. And Jesus passes by, and they cry out, have mercy on us, and Jesus does, and he heals them. I mean, here are these guys whose lives are deformed, lonely, separated. And Jesus changes them, and they run off, and one of them stops in his tracks, and he comes back, and he just falls at the foot of Jesus and says, thank you. Wow, what you've done in my life. And Jesus said, were there not where the other nine who would return and give glory to God. I want you to know how many, how many of you know his working in your life every day? Do you? Do you give him honor and glory and praise? Do you speak of his goodness to others? Do you encourage others with his faithfulness in your life? Jesus said you bear that kind of fruit of, 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 of giving praise to him. Life becomes worship. Then there is the, uh, the, the, the fruit of, 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 of service, transformed service. Paul in the book of Colossians in 1.10 talks about the fruit of good works. Those things that we do out of compassion to help and to build up and to carry along others. And then the Bible talks about the fruit of transformed witness. 
Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 1.13 that he desired to, to, to come to them that he might have fruit among them as he has with all of the Gentiles. What are you saying? I just want to come and lead people to Jesus. I want there to be the fruit of people being saved. Now I want you to know, if you're just walking with Jesus, you just can't keep him inside. If your life's full of Jesus, it's going to splash over to touch others. Now listen to me. Jesus said, abide in me. Remain in me. Be closely connected to me. Let my life flow through you so that you can bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And Jesus ends this whole section on abiding in him in, 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 in verse 17, and he's, he's, he's or, or verse 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you and that your joy will be full. You want to live a joy-filled, happy life? Jesus said it comes from abiding in him. But there's a flip side to that. In Matthew 7, Jesus is coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving the invitation. And he exhorts us to enter in through the narrow gate to eternal life. You're not going to go into the broad gate that leads to destruction. Many of go there in. And then he says this. He says, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. If you don't know Jesus, you can't bring fruit. And he said the bad tree will be cut down and be cast into the fire. And he says, by the fruit in people's life, you'll know where they are and their relationship with me. And if you're here this morning, You've never found life in Christ. You might believe all about Jesus, but you've never come to that place that you've repented of your sins. And believing the gospel, you have received him as your Lord and Savior and committed your life to following him. Instead of fruit, there'll be fire. But that can change. You can have new life in Christ 